are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Win Win podcast. I was talking about this in the previous episode's intro, but that back-to-school, fresh wave of energy feeling is really in the air. And for me, as I'm getting my MBA part-time, it is not just a feeling. I'm actually getting back to my studies, and one of the courses I'm taking this fall is about leadership, which is really in line with the conversations that I always have on this podcast, and today is no exception. This conversation with Jamila Calhoun, who is the Vice President of Product and Customer Marketing at Eventbrite, was just so refreshing. It felt really hopeful and exciting. And even though we don't say things like new normal or fixate on the pandemic anymore, just given that we are three plus years out since the start of COVID, there is an undeniable pre and post way of thinking about our lives. And of course, events is just a hugely impacted sector of that way of thinking. I love how Jamila talks about innovation and the events renaissance that is now taking place, as well as about her own trajectory as she spent almost a decade in financial services prior to pivoting to her role at Amazon's Audible, and then now, of course, Eventbrite. The last shout out is that I'm recording like four episodes in the next two weeks alone and bringing you some more amazing folks on soon. Enjoy this chat with Jamila and please give it a share or a review if you do. Hi Jamila, welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to share my experiences with this community. And I've gotten so much already from this podcast and other guests that you've had on. So I'm honored. Appreciate you for saying that. And there are so many impressive things about you, whether it's your career path, your clear commitment to mentoring others, the powerful messages you share through some of the speaking engagements I've seen you do. But I have to ask you one question. Who is your favorite soul cycle instructor and what is your class vibe? <laughs> oh my goodness. So my favorite soul cycle instructor in New York, shout out Chanel. I love she her. is incredible. Yes. Yes. And her music is just always such a like party vibe, but also incredibly energizing and uplifting. Yes. Um, so I really, really love her class. And Saturdays, her Survivor class is undefeated. So <laughs> that's iconic and amazing. And yes, I love her vibe as well. But soul cycle jokes aside, um, one of the other things that I loved about your career and what personally drew me to it was the fact that we actually share an ex employer city. Um, and I love that you had this incredible nine year career in the financial services space and industry. And then just from reading your resume, which obviously doesn't tell the full story, you seemingly pivoted into more of like the media, the entertainment industry through your time at Audible and now, of course, at Eventbrite. So talk me through how you thought about your career, but more importantly, how did you think about your pivot? 
Yes, I love that we share a city experience. <laughs> um, and I love to say financial services is really where I grew up as a professional. I appreciated that as the foundation of my career because it made sure that I was not intimidated by analytics, by data, that I felt comfortable being in certain rooms, especially boardrooms with maybe folks who don't necessarily look like either of us. Mm -hmm. And so that was really an important training ground for me and has set me up for success and the pivots that I've made later on. But the thing that drove me throughout my whole career was simply curiosity and going towards things that seemed interesting and opportunistic, frankly. Um, for me, the theme that really kind of resonates throughout all of the changes as well is simply that I love thinking about what drives human behavior, what mm -hmm. drives people to make decisions, and how can we be a part of that conversation? So whether it was me thinking from a consulting perspective when I joined American Express and looking at how we could inspire more people to engage with our products in, in a different way, whether it was trying to think about all of the customer service calls that we were getting and finding ways to better service people through our technology so that we could have fewer calls. It was all about thinking through not only what was going to make someone's experience better, but ultimately what was going to incentivize them to adopt a, the new technology and make a change. Um, so that's when I really realized that this through line was going to drive my career. And I felt that being in the tech space and ultimately being more in consumer tech in particular would allow me the opportunity to engage with those types of analytics and those types of business questions that I just really loved. What you're talking about really raises an important point I always think about, which is like that financial services and especially consumer finance kind of deserves a rebrand because payments and, you know, people's experiences with money drive every decision and they're a part of every business. And so I do agree that it really prepares you to think about every business at scale, or that's at least how I've experienced it. But you talked about, you know, the role of mentors uh, in your time, but a lot of the time, when I talk about doing some crazy pivot, there are certain mentors that will say, well, you have this really good thing going. Like, look, you're rising in this company or in this industry. Are you really sure you want to pivot? Did you have those sorts of discussions? And how did you deal with maybe valid advice or feedback, but ultimately make the choice that you ended up making? Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's so difficult sometimes to really distill out the different voices that you may hear from when you're thinking through a major change. And ultimately, it's all about staying grounded in exactly who you are and really what you're trying to solve for. Because everyone's solving for different things. And mm -hmm. what they're sharing with you, that advice is completely valid to their experience. So for me, I ultimately had other mentors, though, who were always encouraging me to stay hungry. There was one mentor in particular who told me, always be interviewing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and his <laughs> advice in particular was to interview for a new job every year. Number one, purely to understand your value on the market. Two, to understand exactly what new opportunities are out there. And three, to help you evaluate whether or not you're still learning and growing in your current role. And so ultimately, that advice stuck with me. And it's not about changing jobs all the time, but it's about making sure that you're getting a fresh and objective perspective from the market at a regular enough cadence that you're not feeling you know, overly intimidated when it comes to now searching for a new role and you haven't interviewed in three years, which can be really daunting. So with that advice, I got a healthy fear of complacency that ultimately has driven my actual work. And that's the way I approach what I do is never staying complacent, always knowing there's something new to understand about our customers, um, new kind of technologies to absorb, but also in my career, knowing that, yeah, there's still much more for me to learn and so much more that I can actually impact in the world. Completely agree with that sentiment. I've actually seen the fear of interviewing with leaders that are a lot more senior and further along in their career as well as more junior. And I've always said like the worst thing that will happen is you'll take the interview and realize you love your actual job so much you don't need to take the job. So I I think that it can really inspire that reflective thinking that we often don't get to do because we're so focused on getting our job done, excelling, networking within our companies, whatever else it may be. So I love how you're thinking about it. And that's excellent advice. But let's fast forward to now. Tell me about what innovation looks like today in your industry, whether that's SaaS or really the event space and in your function, specifically product and customer marketing. Wow. Well, there's so much I could talk about. I love that question because for me, I ultimately feel like I found my home in product marketing. Mm -hmm. It's a space where you're so close to the customer and so close to keeping up with the trends of how they're thinking, how they're evolving. And so for me, in my role, innovation looks like, number one, how do we evolve with the market now that the pandemic is over? Mm -hmm. So events in particular really went through an existential moment because of the pandemic. And people who have made their livelihoods and their purpose on events really were impacted by that. And so what's so exciting about this time is seeing a new cohort of creators and organizers coming into the industry who are trying to connect with a different type of audience, whether it's Gen Z um, and younger folks or reconnecting with people in different interests around music or other topics. And so ultimately, there was a lot of need for us to go back and understand who is the new creator? What are they solving for? What drove them? We can't assume that that is the same as what was driving people before the pandemic. The need to gather is even more prominent than back before. And we're building tools that really are taking advantage of that kind of evolution that has occurred, whether that's enabling more hybrid event technologies so that people can really have a wider audience 
leveraging virtual experiences, or it's also about how do we help people really target and find their people. So marketing tools has been a major area of investment for Eventbrite that we know so many of our creators say it is a really tough job to figure out how to be an effective marketer. And that's a whole separate skill set from how to be an effective organizer and planner for amazing experiences. And so being able to help them solve this issue, especially as new platforms come up like TikTok, like X. <laughs> now mm-hmm. it's yeah, X. the rebrand. Don't forget. <laughs> Threads. Exactly. Right. How do we help them stay on top of these trends? Um, so that's really exciting to me. The other area of innovation is also really thinking about how we go to market with our pricing and our packaging. You know, we've been in a market where um, traditionally it's all about ticket fees. And we know that that is such a, a, a space where there's definitely been concerns and excited that Eventbrite is part of the Fix the Ticks coalition that is working towards evolving the way that ticket fees are impacting fans and consumers who want to experience these events. But I think there's a way that now we are kind of rebalancing the way that we come to market by engaging with our creators more directly, providing them incremental tools, and ultimately ensuring that we're not only about the organizer, but about the fans as well. I love that. And it's such an omni-channel way of thinking, which I really think at this point is in some ways table stakes. But when people say table stakes, they assume that it's going well and smooth for all these companies. Yet I still think that there's a huge opportunity for omni-channel innovation and sounds like your guys are getting ahead of it. And it makes me think about um, Clayton Christensen, who talks in The Innovator's Dilemma, Eventbrite is clearly a company known by so many people, loved by so many people, and is already successful. But at the same time, to stay successful, of course, you have to continue innovating. So how do you think about like that heritage core value proposition and then balancing it with taking risks? More specifically, when you're thinking of initiating a zero to one initiative at the company, how do you think through that? Yeah, I think ultimately what we have to go back to is still the mission. Our mission came out of a moment of zero to one as Mm. well. And it was to basically help democratize access to ticketing for anyone who wanted to put on an event. And that idea of helping anyone put on an event is still core to anything that we're ultimately trying to pursue. And one of the areas for Zero to One, which was the evolution into marketing tools and these other subscription services that we've now added to our platform, it was ultimately about the fact that marketing is hard. And that was a barrier to entry for a lot of our creators. So how can we ultimately democratize having not just an event, but a successful event, successful event is ultimately what we want to solve for. And so it is ultimately very much rooted in our heritage and what drove the company from day one. However, the biggest thing with zero to one growth is not just to think about the evolution in front of your customers, 
but the internal change management as well. And a big component over the last almost two years that I've been at Eventbrite has been really educating our teams internally about what the opportunity is with our customers. We have amazing people who have been with our company for years. In fact, I went to Whiskey Stories, which Mm -hmm. is an event creator in New York just on Tuesday. And she was sharing the story about how she started her business on Eventbrite almost nine years ago as a part-time gig and has now gone to (laughs) full-time, which is absolutely amazing to see. And her needs have evolved over time. So how can I share that with the people inside of our company to help them understand that this isn't a path that is moving us away from the customers that we've served and love, but helping us evolve with them. So there's been multiple lunch and learn sessions, brown bag discussions that I've held with the team, you know, large 80 people coming to these forums to really hear about this customer insights and understand how the changes that we're making are delivering real results to our creators. If you don't make that connection for people, it's so hard to have buy-in and ultimate support that is going to allow you to continue to evolve and change over time because it's something that's not a one and done. Correct. At the end of the day, when you're launching that zero to one product or really any initiative, it is about getting the buy-in of person by person, making them your internal champions, but it all comes down to people, which I think is exciting when you think about navigating your career, but also as you realize that these employees are also potential customers of your product. So I really appreciate you sharing some of those tactical uh, lunch and learn tips. I have not done that, so I'll definitely uh, be implementing that. Um, Another thing you mentioned was actually around the pandemic. And when you think about an events renaissance and you think about wartime versus peacetime innovation. How do you think about thriving in a renaissance as opposed to, oh my goodness, we're in a pandemic, we need to save the company? Yeah, I think ultimately a renaissance is about saving a culture, right? Mm. All of the renaissance of uh, historically is about ensuring that a culture has that ability to endure. And so one of the best defenses is an offense in a way. Yes. And as we're seeing a renaissance, we're also seeing, of course, more competition Mm -hmm. in the space as well. And so the idea of just purely entrenching and being defensive doesn't really fit the reality of how these cycles happen. It's a cycle where... Yes, there's going to be some re-entrenchment, but it's also a moment where there's going to be new ideas coming up from the ground. People were really crafty around how they were going to continue their purpose and passion through the pandemic. And so to me, it's all about reframing the opportunity to be a lot more about endurance, about a moment of recollection and using that reflective moment to drive that additional 
new idea, that thinking that could really disrupt yourself and being comfortable with that. So I, I think these kind of existential moments has been really powerful for Eventbrite in ensuring that ultimately, I think we have even more staying power than we did because number one, we proved that we could stay through something as completely unexpected as a pandemic. But number two, we've come out the other side with the right focus and understanding of our core so that we could use that as a foundation from which to continue to innovate. And I love the focus on the word focus, because another assumption people make about innovation is that it's like this kind of all over the place, let's throw a bunch of things at the wall and like hope that it works. But I actually think, especially when you're acting from a position of renaissance or power, really making those big bets, big moves, that's what sets the companies that succeed aside uh, from those that don't. On that note, when I think about your trajectory, the innovations that you have helped launch and build, I would be remiss to not acknowledge how many systemic challenges that you likely experience ascending your career just by being an intersectional human being, both a woman and a woman of color. And B, I'd be remiss to not acknowledge and ask you how your intersectionality has impacted your thoughts on career innovation leadership, if it did. Yeah, of course, it is definitely a reality that so many people feel in terms of their different identities that they come into work with. And the one key aspect that I always come back to is the fact that being different is both a vulnerable position to be in, but it's because you are that much more visible. In the room that I often occupy, I may be the only Black woman Um, the only Black person, or just the only woman in general. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I know that my presence is known and felt, which is, as I mentioned, daunting. But it also means it's an opportunity. My words are definitely going to be more visible. Mm -hmm. My ideas, my presence is there. And I think that Very early in my career, I had an opportunity to work on a kind of investment banking deal that was with uh, a major city um, in the U.S. that, you know, was predominantly Black. And in that situation, I at once felt, hmm, are they putting me on this because I'm Mm -hmm, a Black mm -hmm. woman? Yeah. But it also meant I got the opportunity to basically be one of the primary deal runners for this opportunity that others who were in my class had not had that level of autonomy and visibility in what they were doing. And I started to think about I could start to feel picked out by this particular experience or I could really see it as an opportunity. And so I have really continued to leverage that perspective as I've gone through my career to ensure, number one, that I use the visibility that I have to support others coming into the room and shining a light on the work that they're doing, but also to when I am in those rooms and I show up, 
I'm going to make sure that people feel my presence. And it's through the impact that I'm able to have and the boldness with which I approach ideation and my work that there's at times the right opportunities uh, to, to really shine. The other aspect that comes to me is all about finding your people in whatever job situation you're in. And what's interesting to me is that's not directly meaning other people who share your intersectional identities, but it means people who think like you. I definitely have been at companies where the culture honestly was not quite a fit, but the experience that I had was I found those other people who also were the misfits at the company. And sometimes those people look like me, sometimes they didn't. But those became the real mentors and relationships that helped me navigate that our connection was really built on something of real and ensure that we kind of were able to understand each other's strengths and value to the organization in, in a clearer way. So I really found that to be such a powerful source of strength and resilience throughout my career that I still lean on today. I appreciate how you think and navigate that because oftentimes when we are in these situations, you think you have to be the lone wolf. You can't trust anybody. You have to navigate this on your own. But to your point, whether it's people who look or don't look like you, there's opportunity to connect with others and not navigate it alone. I had uh, Sharifa Murdoch from Kith on my podcast a little while back, and she kind of came in and said, you know, if I was in an organization whose culture didn't fit with mine or management that didn't entirely support me, I'd leave. And I had so much respect for that. But I also thought about how my journey has been one of figuring out how to navigate these systems and these companies and these large corporations and I really appreciate how you've done it in your career and the tactical and philosophical advice you've shared with us today. So before I let you go, I will ask our infamous innovation question, but I'd love to throw a couple of rapid fire questions at you as well. I love that. Cool. Let's do it. So what's a product or service besides Eventbrite that you love? Well, we already talked about SoulCycle, <laughs> which definitely is something that I, I continue to really love. But another service that I use just about all the time is definitely Google Maps. <laughs> I know it's something that is literally ubiquitous, but my favorite feature is the ability to save locations that you've been to into different lists. I am a planner in my friend group. And so I'm always the person who kind of knows what's nearby that I've either found through various articles or I've been to before and have recommendations. So if anyone would see my Google Maps, it is a an array of colors that is That's kind amazing. of insane, but it uh, comes in handy so, so many times. Plus one, because I also love the social list feature of that where multiple friends can add stuff in. I honestly think Google yeah. Maps is the new Facebook, but you know, don't, don't hold me accountable <laughs> for that one. Love that. A resource or a source of inspiration for when you're looking to innovate or get inspired. 
I, I have to say, I love that you brought up Clay Christensen earlier today. That book I go back to all the time, The Innovator's Dilemma, really thinking about low-end disruption, thinking about competition in a really strategic way. And to that point, I think HBR, um, Harvard Business Review, definitely has a ton of resources and articles that anytime I'm thinking about innovation, I am always just searching through their database and find something really inspirational. Agreed. And lastly, leadership principle you live by. Yes, I think the biggest one for me, and I tell my team all the time, is that I am person first versus team and then company. Mm. And so that means that for me, I want to be unselfish with my talent. I want to ensure that their careers are thriving and that they're ultimately having the best experience for them. And that could mean leaving my team. And that could mean leaving the company, Mm -hmm. um, if that's ultimately the right thing. And I I think that builds a level of trust and transparency in my relationships with my team, that we're able ultimately to really ensure we're having real conversations and getting people the support that they need and the visibility that they need to ultimately thrive and hopefully not leave the team. But I think that's the way as a leader, I always want to approach the relationship. I am very much the same. I was actually having like an internal dialogue with myself wondering if I go overboard on the whole, I will support you in your career piece, the conversation for a different time. But I I completely agree. (laughs) It's the best way to connect with people, which is on a human level. So with that, before I let you go, I'd love to ask you, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now and 10 years from now? Yes. Well, for myself in one month, we're all going to be meeting as a leadership team to do 2024 planning. And it's really exciting. We have folks coming from all over the globe. And so I really thrive on those in-person connections. So really excited about that. In one year, I am really thrilled to see my team start to hit its stride. I built product marketing from scratch at Eventbrite and we have scaled incredibly quickly. But I think once you hit that critical mass, that's when you start to build the systems, build the roadmaps and and things like that. So I'm just really excited to see the, the team hit their stride. And in 10 years, twofold, one would definitely hope to be in the C-suite, you know, continue my career aspirations and and innovation there. And then also more of a portfolio career. As you've mentioned, I absolutely love continuing to share my my mentorship and, and different points of view with others. And so I would definitely see that being an even bigger part of uh, my time and what I do. And the company and industry. I think a month from now, very exciting. We continue to invest in our new ads products. Um, and so I think there's going to be some really exciting announcements around that in about a month. And in a year, the focus on the social graph and how consumers can really build connection with each other not just at the events, but even beyond 
is going to be incredibly exciting to see come to fruition. And in 10 years, I'm really excited to understand how AI will completely, again, change the way that experiences and how we interact together will completely evolve one more time. But I know one thing is always going to be true, that humans are social species and gathering and connecting will always be a factor. But the way it happens, I'm excited to see it uh, evolve. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much for your time. I'm left so inspired for the rest of my day, and I'm sure our listeners will be too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.